Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Praise Jesus today. Come on. Woo! You made it to church. God bless you. All across Connecticut, Massachusetts, gathering in living rooms and family rooms and bedrooms and uh, all the various ways you're watching this. You might be watching this on your phone while you drive. I hope not, but God bless you and welcome to Vox Church. If you're new to Vox, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. And for all of our Vox family all across the region and beyond, we love you. God bless you. I hope that, uh, that you had a good week. I know that these are challenging times we are living in. And uh, we're praying for you. We're standing with you, believing God for your health, for your safety, for your strength. We're in a teaching series called More Than Alive. And if you're with your family member, with your friend, look them in the eye and say, God has called you to live more than alive. Come on, tell them today. God has called you to live more than alive. You might say, Justin, I feel a little funny doing that. Listen, this is the way we keep our hearts set on Jesus in this time. And so this is part two. If you were with us last week, we talked about uh, the power of God thriving through our testimony, right? Through our story. And we heard some powerful stories, some powerful testimonies. I hope those encouraged your heart. Some exciting stuff coming up, church, December 4th. We are releasing an album called More Than Alive, so stay tuned for that on Spotify, iTunes, everything else. Uh, Vox will be putting out an album. That's exciting. And then December 13th, turn to the person next to you and tell them December 13th. December 13th, we don't know if it's gonna be in person or if it's gonna be just online, whatever it's gonna be, but that's an important day for us as a family. That's uh, Vision Sunday for our church, Vision Sunday, and that's the day that we receive our end-of-year offering. And if you've been with Vox, any length of time, you know that every year we end the year by giving our best, by giving what we can for the mission of Jesus to move forward and trusting God in faith. And you know, this is a crazy year financially, uh, you know, organizationally. This is a crazy year in so many ways. And I, I feel like, you know, there's never been a better time for us to trust Jesus and express our faith through an act of generosity. So I really am excited about December 13th. And of course, that looks different for each of us. But I encourage you, begin praying. Begin praying and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, how would you have me end this year with a radical act of generosity towards the family and the mission of Jesus? 2 Kings chapter four. If you have a Bible, you can go there. I'll read it with you today. 2 Kings chapter four, a story that uh, for years has had a huge impact on my life. And I've referenced it many times, but you know, it's interesting, church. I've never actually preached this story. And so I'm so excited to share with you a word that I really do believe is from God for you Today, starting in verse 1, 2 Kings 4, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now, everybody say, but now, but now, circumstances change. Things look different than you expected. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars as each is filled and put it, uh, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went 
and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is God's word for us today. If you want to jot down the title of the sermon, you can say it to your friend, to your spouse, to whoever you're with today. And if you're not with anybody, you're just watching this by yourself, you can just say it out loud to God. The title of the sermon is Set It In Motion. Set it in motion. Go ahead and say it out loud. Set it in motion. Set it in motion. Would you pray with me, church? as we set it in motion today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that I can sense even right now as we gather in this unique form, in this unique time. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would meet my friend in their living room right now as they sit on their couch, that you'd meet every single one of us in the way that we need to be met by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I wonder, have you been sitting too much. Come on, wherever you are, just raise your hand if you've been sitting quite a bit these days. I know for me, they've been long days of Zoom meetings and, uh, and computer time more than I'm used to. I've been sitting a lot recently. I just uh, had a day uh, a couple days ago where I had meetings all day on Zoom, and I remember I spent my, my morning uh, watching the sun come up in my office at my house, just worshiping Jesus at my desk, and then literally I sat there all day and I watched the sun go down. And by the time I left that office in my house, my little office, my home office, uh, the, uh, the sun had gone down. The average American office worker spends about 13 to 15 hours a day sitting, sitting. You know, the body was never meant to sit that much. All kinds of bad things happen to your physical frame. When you sit, your bones get weaker, your organs stop operating the way that they're supposed to. Every system starts to slowly break down as a human body sits for extended amounts of time. And this is not just true of the human body. This is true of virtually everything on the earth. The earth itself is on a rotation. It is moving right now. And if the earth were to stop moving, it would cease to be able to have life on it. Rivers have to move, right? And if a river gets jammed, if a river becomes stagnant, uh, it becomes an incubator for bacteria and, uh, and parasites, right? And so everything has to move. This is the way that God created the world. And it's true for your body. It's true for a river. It's true for the planet. And it's true for your faith. It's true for your faith that the Christian life was never meant to be lived sitting down. That's not the way it works. Faith stops breathing when it stops moving. Love stops growing when it stops moving. And just as the physical body breaks down when it remains still, so also the spiritual man cannot thrive unless you set it in motion. Come on, turn to that person next to you and tell them, set it in motion. This is the call of God. And I fear that right now, you know, especially as the weather changes and it gets a little colder and we're in lockdown and, you know, the possibility of increased limitations on our travel, increased limitations on who we can see and the size of groups and all the different things that we're dealing with. It is so easy in this time for our faith to get stagnant. It's so easy in this time for our spiritual man to stop moving. So I want you today to hear the word of the Lord. It's not your wife's job. It's not your friend's job. It is your job. Set it in motion. 
set it in motion. And so in this text today, we meet a woman who has gone through a terrible loss and her losses have compounded, right? In the story, we're told that she's a widow. Her husband has recently died. But it's not just the loss of her husband that she's dealing with. She's also dealing with a financial crisis. She has debts from her husband's death or for whoever it might be. And now those, those creditors are coming for. And in those days, if you couldn't pay your debts, one of the things that they would do is they could take your children and make them slaves until the debt was paid. And so this woman has compounding issues. She's got the relational loss of her husband. And then she has the financial struggle of her current situation. And then on top of that, she has the maternal ache to protect her kids, right? And so all of this is coming to a head. And it's interesting because as far as we know, it is not at all her fault that she finds herself in this scenario. It's not out that she, you know, it's not as though she was out gambling her money's, you know, her family's money away. It's not that she was unfaithful to her husband. And so what we see about this text is that this woman and her family, her husband who's deceased, is godly. They're holy. They're righteous. And yet they find themselves at no fault of their own in this moment of desperate need. And that doesn't seem fair to me. I think that sometimes we expect life to deal us a fair hand, right? And when it comes to us in an unfair way, we're offended. And I love how the Bible just doesn't shield us from this. That sometimes in life, things are going to happen that don't seem fair. That's a word for somebody right now. Sometimes in life, things are going to happen and there is no explanation that we have. We do not clearly know why she has found herself in this circumstance. And we don't know how long she tries to kind of manage the chaos herself, you know? Maybe it was days that she was trying to figure all this out, figuring out how to pay the bills and what to do and how to get this done and that done and keep the mortgage all set. Maybe it was months, maybe it had been years since her husband had died, but she finally comes to a place where the size of her need eclipses her ability to hold it together, right? And I think for some of us, you know, we've been trying to hold it together for months now, you know, and it's just, uh, I'm just, I'm just doing okay. You're trying to hold your marriage together, trying to hold your finances together, trying to hold your kids and your family together as they go to school and then they don't go to school and then they change the plan again, trying to hold the pressure of your business together. And you might be listening to this right now. And if you're honest, you're pretty exhausted, pretty exhausted from trying to hold it together and she does something in this text that I think we often, for some reason, forget to do. Hear me today, church, every one of us today. She does something that for some reason, we often forget to do. Look at me, she cries out. She cries out. Now, in this context, she cries out to the prophet who is the representation of God. And I love the word in the Hebrew that is used for this phrase that she cries out because it literally means that she shrieked. This was not a beautiful cry. This was an ugly cry. This was an uncomfortable cry. This was a cry that everybody around was like, oh, dang, what's going on with that lady? Like she was outrageous in her attempt to get Elijah's attention. And I think for some reason in our lives, many of us have a propensity to cry out to our friends, to complain to our, our coworkers, to even cry out on social media and say this and that, but we fail to stop and turn our attention to the only one that can ultimately meet our need and cry out to God. Look at that person you're sitting next to and tell them, cry out to God. Cry out to God. We forget the promise that is 
aimed at those who cry out to God. Look at it with me in Psalm 34. It says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. Come on, somebody say amen. The Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. I'm talking to you right now. That is a word from heaven. If you will cry out to the Lord, he will hear you and he'll deliver you from all your troubles. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I know that there's some of us that if I got to just hang out with you right now, I would ask, how are you doing? And you'd say something like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, under the circumstances, I'm fine. And I just have to be honest with you. Are you okay living your life fine? Is that God's best for you? Remember, we're in a teaching series called More Than Alive. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. Is the best that God has for you to be fine? My marriage is fine. My finances are fine. My future is fine. My job is fine. Is that it? No, friend, God has called you to thrive. God has called you to overcome. But if you're ever gonna live more than alive, you have to realize that the greatest hindrance to God's fullness is the problem you're willing to tolerate. And see, this woman came to a place where she was just not willing to tolerate it anymore. And I know there's some of us that can hear me right now that if you're honest, you've stopped praying for that miracle. You've stopped believing for that dream. You've become content to just tolerate brokenness, insufficiency, and lack. Look at me today. It's time to cry out to the Lord. It's time to aim your full attention upon him. And that's what this widow does. She cries out. She cries out. And Elisha responds with kind of a strange request. He says, well, what do you have in your house? That's the first thing he asks her. He says, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? And she looks at him and she says, nothing. I have nothing in my house, which is, I think, more a description of her perspective than it is a reality of her life, right? Because, I mean, I think about that, I'm like, nothing? Like, you don't have a couch? You don't have a doorknob? You don't have a mirror? You have nothing in your, are you sure? Is it completely, I mean, you have floors, right? Like, you, and I don't know, I'm taking it very literally, but, but, you know, she says, I have nothing. Now, how can she say that? Why would she say that? I think she says that because her problem's gotten so big, the debt she owes, the grief she's experienced, all the problems she has. Her problem's gotten so big that it has, it has fully taken over her view where all she can see now is the problem. She can no longer see the blessings, the opportunities, or the favor in her life. And I think that for some of us, hear me today, that's exactly where you find yourself. You find yourself in a circumstance where the problem's gotten so big, it's all you think about, it's all you worry about, it's all you plan for, and you've lost sight of some of the blessings in your life because the problem's just gotten so big. Has that ever happened to you where it just gets so big? I remember just recently I was with someone who's been in a real battle with addiction and I knocked on their door one day to check on them and uh, they've been just battling drug addiction and when they opened the door, uh, they were just an absolute mess. They were literally wrapped in a blanket, just looked terrible, their hair all crazy. I said, could I come in? And so they let me in and as I walked around their house, I mean, food was out on the ground. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the house was a complete mess. Their, their cat was just kind of running around uncared for. And I just realized, listen, their problem of addiction has gotten so big that it has completely eclipsed everything else in life. They, they can't even take out the trash because everything in life is being consumed by that one problem. And I think some of us, that's the way we've been viewing the world. Just a few weeks ago, my son Noah broke his arm on a trampoline. And, you know, the first couple days with the cast on, 
he was like, dad, I just, my life, I have nothing I can do because he's a real active kid. He loves to play sports. And I'm like, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And finally it got to the point where he's like, well, I can't even do any chores because of my broken arm, right? Like it had eclipsed. And I was like, no, 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 friend. Let me tell you, there's more to life. You can, you can continue to do your chores. It's going to be all right. But when a problem gets big in our life, when it expands in our perspective, it's easy to develop what I've called before a scarcity mentality. Come on, I'm talking to you today. A scarcity mentality says, you know, uh, I have a limited supply. I have to cling to what I have. I have to hold on. I can't trust. I can't. I only have to survive. And a, a scarcity mentality will eventually drive us into loneliness. It'll eventually drive us into greater lack. And you can't overcome that scarcity mindset by having enough money in the bank. I know people with tons of money in the bank, but they still think with a scarcity mentality. You can't overcome it with enough friends in your life. I know people who are surrounded by friends, but they still think with a scarcity mentality. The only way that you can truly overcome a scarcity mentality is the revelation of a God who is good. The revelation that God has has a purpose for you, that he has a plan for you. The revelation of the gospel, that he came, that he loves you, that he's for you, that he would die in your place, rise from the dead, and that his power is available right now. Friend, I believe that even in this moment, as I'm preaching to you in your house, in your car, wherever you're listening to this, God wants to break off that scarcity mentality and begin to give you a revelation that he is in fact for you, that he is going to provide for you, and that he always has as a jar of oil in the house. Elisha says, what do you have? She says, nothing. And then she says, well, except, oh, I guess I do have this little jar of oil, right? At first, it doesn't look like enough. But what you have to understand is that miracles always start when you trust God with the little that you have. You look at all through the Bible and we see this as a cadence in scripture, right? Moses stands before God in the burning bush and he says, I can't deliver these people out of Egypt. And God says something strange. He says, Moses, what do you have? And he goes, I have nothing. I just have this staff. And God says, that's fine. That'll do. I'll deliver a nation with a stick. That sounds good because that's what you have, right? And you know the story of David. He goes to fight Goliath and he faces this great warrior and he tries to put on Saul's armor and use Saul's sword, but it doesn't fit him. So finally he decides not to trust in what he doesn't have, which is the, the, you know, the repertoire of a warrior, but instead to trust in what he does have, which is a sling. And God says, that's fine. I'll deliver a nation with a sling. He uses what he had, right? And I think that so often in our life, we don't realize the blessings that already surround us. Look at your life right now, because in your life today are the seeds that God wants to use to bring favor, blessing, and opportunity to your future. I was just thinking about this in my own life, and God has taught me this so many times throughout the years, you know, teaching me that it always starts with the little that we have. And I was trying to illustrate this in just my story and my journey. Some of you guys know that Years before we started Vox Church, I was part of a traveling music group. And I can remember for years just having like no, no money, no anything, just barely having like the guitars and the vehicles just to get to the next concert, to the next worship service, whatever. And so I remember just uh, somebody gave me, I actually went and found it today. I, somebody gave me uh, a case to put some musical equipment in. Here's my case, right? I know it looks a little old and jankety and 
beat up and everything. That's because it is. I've had it for 20 years. I was just a you know 19-year-old when somebody gave this to me. And it was actually a hand-me-down from a hand-me-down. It had been multiple people's cases before they gave it to me. And I'd keep my pedals, my guitar pedals and my cables and everything else in this busted up looking case. And this case, I'm not exaggerating, has been all over the world with me. All over the world, all over the, the nation, the United States. And, and I've traveled with this case all kinds of places, you know. And it's just gone from place to place to place in my life. But I can remember the day that I had this case and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to have cases for equipment? I know it sounds silly, but this is what you dream about when you're a musician. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a case for a soundboard? Wouldn't it be awesome to have a case for a, for a, a, a lighting system? And I remember just thinking about, I would go into like warehouses and I would see all these cases. As a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, I thought, wow, look at all these cases. And I would pray crazy prayers like, Lord, one day allow the ministry I'm a part of to have cases. And I know that might sound stupid to you. You maybe never dreamed about cases, but I was just faithful with the one little case I had to go preach at the next place, to go lead worship at the next place, to go to the next place and serve. Just this one little case, one little case, one little case. And God reminded me about that case this week because when you're faithful with what you have, when you trust God with that little jar of oil, when you just take what you have and you give it to God, he transforms it into what you need because today I had to get in early and I had to dig through the warehouse at our church and I had to go through, I don't know, hundreds of cases stacked up just to get to this one little case that was buried all the way in the back and it was reminding me as I was 15 feet up in the air balancing on cases to get to that one case that had so much history for me, reminding me that now here we are in nine locations with more cases than I could ever have imagined having all kinds of you know musical equipment and opportunities and here it started just with that little case, that little jar. Friend, God's got something for you and if you would just be faithful with it and stop overlooking the blessing that you have, you'd realize that that little blessing you have is a seed to your destiny. And if you want to live more than alive, jot this thought down, you got to realize God hides divine opportunity in supposed insufficiency. He hides divine, oh, come on, turn to the person next to you and say, oh, that's good. He hides divine opportunity in supposed insufficiency. What looks like not enough can actually become more than enough. But something had to happen in the life of this widow for the oil to be multiplied. I want to show it to you. Look at verse three. This is awesome. You know, I've studied this text so many times. I've never seen it like this. Look at verse three. It says, Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. Pour oil. Pour oil. Come on, look at that person next to you and say, set it in motion. Set it in motion. Now it's interesting that this was not a jar of pickles. It was not a jar of ketchup. It was a jar of oil. Okay. It was a jar of oil and oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. And what God is doing in this story is he's using the picture of this woman and her need to teach us a much deeper truth. He's revealing a secret of supernatural abundance that one of the greatest mysteries in all of scripture, maybe the greatest mystery in all of scripture is that in the house of every believer, God does put a jar of oil. What does that mean? It means that inside the heart of every Christian, God places 
his living spirit. Now, I know that you've probably heard that if you've been in church for any length of time, but friend, I need you to hear it again today because God wants to speak it to you in power and allow that truth to now reinform your current situation. That inside of you right now is the power that crafted the cosmos. That on the inside of you now, the living God dwells. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul said it like this. I pray that you would see with the eyes of your heart, the incomparably great power toward us who believe. You have a power inside of you from heaven that is far more than you could ever imagine or ever need. And so you might be here, listen to me today, and you say, Justin, I can't even pay my bills. I can't pay my bills right now. Or just, I can't raise my kids. They are crazy. I'm losing my mind. I can't fix my marriage. The problems are so systemic. I don't know how to change it. I can't stop my thoughts. I keep having crazy thoughts and I keep going back to them again. I can't change my circumstance. I can't do it. I'm not enough. And here, friend, you need to hear me. You're right. You are absolutely right. You are not enough and you can't fix it. You can't. And that's why Elijah told the widow to gather empty jars, gather empty jars, because it's only the empty that can be filled. See, when you come to God empty handed, when you come to God aware of your inability, when you come to God with an empty jar in your heart, now you've got an opportunity for a miracle. See, you can't be full of yourself and still experience the fullness of God. But if you would empty yourself, if you would cry out, if you would ask him to intervene, God can reach into his limitless supply, his oil, the power, the anointing, and he can fill you right now. You're sitting on your couch, wherever you might find yourself. Lift your hands right now. Lift your hands right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, every lifted hand, unless they're driving, at least keep one hand on the wheel. Every lifted hand in Jesus' name, I bless you. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that a fullness would begin to bubble up on the inside of you, even as you listen to me preach in Jesus' name. Do you believe Do you believe? He says, go inside and shut the door. I love that. Go inside and shut the door. See, discovering God is your source. It's not something your spouse can do for you. It's not something your girlfriend can do for you. It's not something your mom can do for you. Discovering God as your source, that is a personal endeavor. You got to get behind that closed door and you got to wrestle. Do I trust God? Do I really believe that he's my source? I remember in my story, following Jesus, my parents were divorced. My home life was challenging. And I remember just early in my journey of following Christ as a teenager, just beginning to learn the truth that God is my source. Have you learned that truth? Or is your job still your source? Is your own quick mind still your source? God is my source. That's what this widow learned as she closed the door, took that little jar of oil, And she set it in motion, right? She poured it. She set it. Oh, that's a word for somebody. She set it in motion. And I'd imagine that she probably felt pretty ridiculous. She's got all these empty jars all around her, right? And she's got this one little jar of oil. And she's like, all right, I'm just going to do it. She's pouring this jar of oil into an empty jar. It's like, what's the point of this? There seems to be no magic trick here. I don't know why I'm even doing this. Friend, I want to tell you, if you've never felt a little ridiculous trust in God, 
then you haven't trusted him very much. If you can't think of a time in your life when you didn't feel a little ridiculous trusting God, well, then you've probably really never walked the walk of faith because faith is contradictory to our minds. It often supersedes our minds. It doesn't make any sense for a woman to gather in her house with a bunch of empty jars and pour a little jar into other jars. The whole thing is ridiculous, but it teaches us a powerful eternal principle that is actually greater than the natural principle. It is beyond our minds that the life of abundance, don't miss this, The life of abundance is never found in having enough. That's a mistake. The life of abundance is not about a big bank account. It's not about a thousand friends. It's not about hoarding what you have. You could hoard what you have and still live a life of lack every day. The life of abundance isn't found in the hoarding. The life of abundance is only found in the flow. It's found in the moving. See, it's in giving love that you learn to love more deeply. It's in serving others that you finally feel full yourself. It's in helping someone that the, own, that the wounds of your own life actually are healed. It's in pouring out that you discover abundance. Life is found in the flow. This is how abundance comes to our hearts. This is how we know joy, peace, hope, life. It's when we set it in motion, when we begin to pour out ourselves. See, the power of God multiplies as you set it in motion. Look at that person next to you and say, set it in motion, set it in motion. And you know, I think maybe the greatest danger of this pandemic is not the illness, though that is serious, but it's that our souls, it's that our spirits can become stagnant like a pool of water. It's that as all of our routines are broken, we stop serving. We stop giving, we stop meeting, we stop trusting, and soon we're filling the time that we used to fill with a life in motion for God. It's now filled with Netflix episodes and social media scrolling. And before you know it, your spiritual man begins to atrophy. Your bone density begins to decrease and bacteria starts to grow. And so God gave me a word for you today, church. He's called you to be more than alive. But if you're ever gonna live that yourself, you gotta set it in motion you got to set it in motion. What does that mean for you? Let's get real practical. It means that you have to find a way to prioritize the people of God right now in your life. I've been praying about this for a number of weeks now, and I really believe regardless of what happens, how often we're able to meet for the next few months, we don't know that yet as a church family, but I want to challenge everyone, everyone, every single person at Vox Church, 100% of the people that call this family of faith home, I want to challenge every single person to be in a regular small group. Now that's going to look different for each of us, but I'm telling you, it is the time to make sure that you set your faith in motion by staying connected to biblical Jesus-focused intention community. That might mean joining a community group that already exists. If you go on our website, you can see a huge list of community groups that already exist. You could click the little button that says join a group. It might mean that you host a group, that you actually start a community group. It might mean that your group meets on Zoom. It might mean that your group meets socially distanced. I don't know what it's going to mean, but it is critical that you start a group along with community groups, which are the larger small groups, the 10, 15 people. We also have what we call core groups, and we just finished the curriculum for those core groups. Those are groups of three or four of the same gender. People who gather, hopefully weekly, maybe every other week or even monthly, but we hold ourselves to a life of discipleship. You can get all the information to start a core group right on our website. You can get all the information to join a community group right on our website. You know what you should do? You should join a core group and a community group. That's the best thing you could do or have your community group break down into core groups. But either way, you better prioritize the community of God because you've got to set your faith in motion. You've got to act upon your faith. 
And I also want to challenge you to continue to sow. Continue to sow in generosity. You know, as a church, we've not slowed down in sowing. You may have already heard this, but just in the last few months, Vox has given over $200,000 away to COVID relief efforts all across Connecticut and Massachusetts. Right now, we're collecting thousands of thousands of cans, canned goods, so that we can serve people who have a real need for food in this season of Thanksgiving. And so all these natural things, you know, are so important. But our minds will tell us, well, well, Justin, if I had more, to give, I would give. I would, I, would, I would give online to Vox Church if I had more. I would invest financially in the kingdom of God if I had more. Friend, that's a broken way of thinking. That's actually the opposite of the kingdom. It becomes more when you set it in motion. That's the power of sowing a seed. It becomes more when you set it in motion. Life is found in the flow. I wanna challenge you to be generous right now. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, December 13th, Vision Sunday, we'll receive our end of year offering, which we do every year. A number of us have made big faith commitments financially. I know that the Kendrick family has. We're trusting God to be faithful to those commitments, preparing our end of year gift right now. I encourage you, begin to prepare. Stay connected, set it in motion. This is how we keep our faith moving. Look how the story ends in verse six. Stay with me. Look at it, so important. It says, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then, everybody say then. Then the oil stopped flowing. I think that word then is critical for us to understand how God works. And this is, for some of us, I think an uncomfortable truth. But we have to ask the question, what was the limit of her miracle? Was it Elisha? No. Elisha wasn't the limit of her miracle. He said, gather jars, do not gather a few. Was it God? Did God run out of oil? No. God is a limitless supply. He didn't run out of oil. That was not the limit of her miracle. So what if this woman, don't miss this, this will blow your spiritual mind. I know it challenges me. What if this woman had gathered twice as many jars? According to the text, the only limit to her miracle was the size of the containers that she had gathered. And this is actually something that Jesus teaches us again and again in the scriptures. If you're familiar with Matthew chapter nine, you know that there are, there's a story of two blind men, two blind men who come to Jesus and they say, we need a miracle. And he says, do you believe that I can do this? And they say, yes. And then he says something that shakes my faith to this day after following Jesus for years and years. He says, listen to me, let it be done according to your faith. That's what he says. Let it be done, not according simply to his power, but according to your faith. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus says it like this. All things are possible for him who believes. Allow that thought to get in your mind. All things are possible. He just blew the, the, whole, the whole boundaries off of possibility. Matthew chapter seven, he says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, God's allowing you to create the container for your own miracle. This truth of second Kings four is so powerful. Jot it down with me. The size of your miracle follows the size of your expectation. That as you expect great things, as you believe God for more, you'll begin to see a greater breakthrough of his power. So maybe, just maybe, maybe we are seeing small things because we've approached God in a small way. But what could happen? What could happen if we gathered twice as many jars? What could happen if our faith took hold of a God who can do the impossible? I love what William Carey, a great missionary said. He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. 
wherever you are today, let me ask you a simple question. Do you? Do you expect great things from God? And then do you follow it up by setting it in motion? Do you attempt great things for God? What if right now you began to believe that that oil in you, the Holy Spirit within you, is more than enough to meet the need of your life right now? And all it's gonna take is for you to set it in motion. Set it in motion. You know what I believe, church? I know this sounds crazy. I believe that we are in a season of exponential growth right now. I believe that we are in a season of exponential growth where God's gonna knit our hearts together like we've never known, where God's gonna build deeper relationships than we've ever known before, where our faith is gonna be refined and it's going to come out like gold in Jesus' name. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials because the the testing of your faith, it produces in you steadfastness and endurance. Wherever you are right now, in your living room, in your bedroom, would you stand with me? Go ahead, stand to your feet right now. I just encourage you, take this moment, stand to your feet. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you, and I believe that God wants to minister to you right now through this screen because you might be listening to my voice today and you find yourself in a place of legitimate deficit. And you say, Justin, I look at my life and there's a financial deficit. There's a relational deficit. There is a personal, emotional deficit. And I'm battling these thoughts. I'm battling these feelings. I need a touch from God. I wanna encourage you, come just like this woman came with empty vessels. Come with a cry aimed at heaven. Pour out your heart to him and he will pour out his spirit on you. Would you close your eyes? I wanna pray for you right now. Let me pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for any part of our faith that has become stagnant. I pray for every single brother and sister that can hear my voice right now. And I thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit can move right through this screen right now in Jesus' name. And I pray a supernatural injection of the Holy Spirit and power. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd move through this screen even now and that you would set our hearts on fire for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray stagnant faith begin to move. I pray stagnant pools begin to stir. I pray oil multiply in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that the life of heaven would stir the heart of faith right now, that every person that's become stagnant, every person that's become secluded, every person that's become distant, that the spirit of Jesus would stir our hearts to a place of faith like we've never known before. Even now, in Jesus' name, move. In Jesus' name, move. I speak your blessing, your life, and I speak faith in the name of Jesus over every follower of Christ right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I just want right now, for any person that is hearing my voice that hasn't trusted in Christ, there's a number on this screen that you can text. I wanna urge you, text that right now. We would love to pray with you and we would love to lead you to a place of trust in Jesus. Father, I speak your blessing over your church in Christ's name. Amen. Fox Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. 
We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church Podcast.